This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Fruby, and this week we're in the native Apache, Arapaho, Cheyenne, Pueblo, Shoshone, and Ute land of Colorado. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. And when you hear the call, you know so well. Sisters, speak out. I know I will. Hi, 50 Feminist States fam. Welcome back to season five of the podcast. How much did you love last week's episode with Erica Nelson? Wasn't it just such an amazing interview? I feel like I learned so much about fly fishing and we got to hear from a really badass native feminist. It's really conversations like that that are the reason I do this work. And if you haven't tuned into that episode yet, click through, go back, take a listen. Highly encouraged. If you're just joining us for the first time, I'm Amelia Ruby, the host of 50 Feminist States, and we are in season five of the podcast. This week, we are in Colorado, where we're starting the virtual season five road trip. Today, we're going to hear from Amy Shapiro Eswine, who is a tattoo artist living in Denver. Super excited to share our conversation about her visual work, her tattooing, and her volunteer work with Girls Rock, as well as how being a parent has impacted her artistic practice. I can't wait for you to hear that conversation, but before we get there, two quick things. You may have noticed that 50 Feminist States has a beautiful new brand. Huge thanks to Chelsea Warren, who created this amazing new image for us. It really feels like such a breath of fresh air for this podcast coming shortly after we hit the halfway point. So I am so thankful to her. If you haven't seen it yet, you have because you clicked through to listen to the episode and you saw the beautiful new rainbow text logo that she created for us. You can go ahead to our website at 50feministstates.com to see more. You can see it on our Instagram at 50feministstates. Love for you to check it out. Love for you to show Chelsea some love. You can find her at Chelsea Warren Creative and linked her on our Instagram and our website for your convenience. But again, huge thanks to her. It is so wonderful to be in community with so many creative people through this project. Last thing before we get to the interview, as many of you know, 50 Feminist States is a listener-funded podcast. There are no ads, there are no networks, just grassroots activists, feminist artists, and you listening. It is thanks to over 250 Kickstarter backers that we have been able to bring this project to life. In the world right now, there is so much need, and I've decided to start redistributing some of the funds from our last Kickstarter campaign to many of the activists and organizers whose work we featured here on the show. If you would like to support that, we are launching a very soft, very small subscriber campaign on Glow FM. So if you are a fan of 50 Feminist States, instead of a one-time donation you might make through a larger campaign, we'd love for you to click through the link in the show notes to glow.fm slash 50 Feminist States and just pledge a $5 monthly contribution to the podcast. That will help me keep this work going. 
The costs are obviously much less when I'm not traveling, but we still have hosting fees and other things that keep the podcast on the air. And it will help me support some of those amazing organizations whose work we featured here on the show that are really doing such important work right now. I can think of Sister Reach, First Reproductive Justice Organization in Tennessee. I can think of the amazing work that Red is doing in New York City to decriminalize sex work and get justice for Alicia Walker. I can think all the way back to season one and our conversation with Aspen Haugen of the Montana Racial Equity Project, or just to last season and the amazing food at Beanie's Kitchen and her campaign to help keep supporting her staff even when the restaurant is closed right now. I can think of Hannah Drake and Allison Thompson's beautiful books of poetry that I would love for all of us to have copies of. Those are some of the people and causes that I'll be working to support through your generous donations to 50 Feminist States over the past few years. And as a more sustainable way of keeping this podcast going, I would love if you could head to glow.fm slash 50 Feminist States to support the podcast with a small monthly donation in an ongoing way. Of course, if you yourself are in need right now, and there's any way that the podcast or me, Amelia, could support you, you can send me an email at amelia at 50feministstates.com. Let me know. I'm here for you. 50 Feminist States is here for you in any way that we can be. So now let's get to this week's wonderful episode. As you'll hear in just a second, Amy Shapiro is a tattoo artist living in Denver. She grew up outside Washington, D.C. and has lived all over the United States. She currently works at World Tattoo Studio when it's open or when it can be open. And she is part of some amazing photo and music projects. I can't wait for you to hear everything that she has to share in this episode. So for now, here's Amy. My name is Amy Shapiro Eswine. Professionally, I go by Amy Shapiro, and I am primarily a visual artist. I am a painter. I do some photography, and I guess my daily work practice is with tattooing, which I've been doing for about 13 years. Wow. So of those things, did something come first? How did you, was it painting or photography or tattooing? Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of came into yourself and work as an artist? Sure. I went to school for, actually, I started in photography to do photojournalism and shot for the college paper for a while. It was just a fluke that I ended up not being able to take a certain photo class and took painting instead, which sent me in that direction. And painting became my focus for the next few years. So that's what I did in undergrad. And then I went to graduate school for painting and drawing. But then in grad school, we were encouraged to try all different media. So I ended up actually working with a lot of alternative media. And I did a lot of sewing on bed sheets and some film projections and things like that using different materials, a lot of craft materials. That kind of speaks to my background, just making things, sewing, things like that. That's what I was doing. And then I started teaching part-time, just adjuncting right after school. And that is also when I crossed paths with the person who I ended up apprenticing under for a traditional tattoo apprenticeship. Then tattooing became my focus. Eventually, I got so busy that I wasn't able to really teach anymore. And yeah, since then, I've moved a couple of times, a couple of states, and I've landed in Colorado. And then kind of circling back around. I started a photography project a few years ago. I wanted to document 
women and non-binary tattoo collectors that I have crossed paths with through the years. So I guess that's kind of a summary. Like painting's always been around and I've always been practicing it, but photography has been, you know, I guess I had a break from it for a while, but I still love it. Yeah, I really love the photos on your website, which I assume are this kind of series you're talking about, about tattoo collectors, women and non-binary folks, tattoo collectors. I'm wondering, what is your like style and approach to tattooing? I have tattoos, but I actually don't know a lot about the profession. So could you share more about that? Sure. I consider myself to have a traditional background in tattooing Mm -hmm. because I had a mentor and mentors in the shop who I learned under. I started working in a walk-in shop, which was wonderful because I had a lot of practice and I mean, you know, for better, for worse, Mm -hmm. doing like small things on people. And then really quickly, I started doing custom tattoos for people. And that was really because this was in Tucson, Arizona. I was really involved with a lot of different things going on there. I was part of the art community. I was part of the music scene. I'm also a musician. And also at the time I was playing roller derby. So I had all these, you know, communities of folks that were kind enough to let me practice tattooing on them. And it just sort of evolved into me working very client-based really early on. And maybe when I shouldn't have even been taking on some of those projects because I was still really learning the craft of tattooing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where I started. And then I moved to New York City and I ended up working at a shop that was primarily custom appointment only. So really quickly, I had to work on cultivating a clientele and, you know, take like my foundations in traditional tattooing and and tailor it to what people in New York wanted. So my style emerged, I would say, as kind of like an illustrative approach to tattooing. Mm -hmm. And I use a lot of finer lines because when I started tattooing in Tucson, that was, I would say, the predominant aesthetic of the shop was a lot of fine line. If you think about like those black and gray, almost like biker style tattoos that you'd see on the walls, Mm -hmm. things like roses and just, you know, a lot of classic imagery, barbed wire roses, you know, grim reapers, things like Mm -hmm. that, skulls that you'd see around. So yeah, I think my style is kind of a meshing of of that form of traditional tattooing. And also I'm just naturally drawn to more organic subject matter, like flowers and animals, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. When I was doing a little research on tattooing for this interview, I was, I don't know if I was surprised to find, but I guess in some senses I thought of, I think this is my own like internalized gender norms, but I kind of thought of tattooing as a more male dominated industry. But when I started researching it actually from statistics, I'm seeing at least there are more women who are tattoo artists and actually more women that have tattoos than men at this point in the country. And of course, those statistics are really binary, so they don't include gender nonconforming and non-binary folks at all. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that aligns with your experience or if you could talk a little bit about the role you see gender playing among tattoo artists and or the people who are coming in and getting tattooed. Sure. Yeah, I would say... 14 years ago when I started my apprenticeship, there really weren't that many women around. There have always been female and non-binary folks tattooing, but they were definitely in the minority for a long time. Mm -hmm. And 
I was lucky enough to have a veteran female tattooer. Her name is Tracy Ledbetter, working with me in the shop and kind of mentoring me also. Mm -hmm. So we were the only women at the time. And, you know, we definitely experienced some strange stuff. You know, there were people that didn't want to be tattooed by us and, you Mm -hmm. know, what have you. But then when I moved to New York, it was a really different experience. It could have been the shops that I worked at, which were Eastside Inc. and Three Kings. I felt like there were almost half, you know, half of the people I worked with were women. So that was really encouraging. But with my latest move, which was to Denver, Colorado about four years ago, again, I was the only, well, actually for the first time, I was the only woman tattooing in the shop and kind of just reminded of how male dominated the business still is. So I think that my female and non-binary colleagues and I have really tried to be proactive about holding each other up. And, you know, if our clients are traveling, we'll say, oh, you should definitely like go check out this shop or this tattooer. And just kind of, there just feels like there's a real awareness that we want to look out for each other and help Mm -hmm. each other out. And you know, that we want our customers to have like a good, positive, inclusive experience when they're getting tattooed. Yeah, I guess so much is changing and it's really, really, really for the good. So I think more people are realizing the importance of mentoring women and non-binary folks to, you know, give them a path to get into tattooing so that, I don't know, I guess, I guess so. I just think there's more awareness of you know, the talent that different people can have. I'm realizing now that it's come up a couple of times, when you say a traditional apprenticeship, what does that mean? And what do other forms of mentorship look like for people outside tattooing who aren't familiar with this at all? Okay, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky enough to get a traditional apprenticeship, you have a mentor who it might be one person, might be multiple, but they're kind of putting you on a path, which doesn't always start with tattooing. A lot of times you're just drawing, you're helping, you're cleaning, you're giving your time as an investment to show that you're serious and you care about the craft. And then, you know, after whatever amount of time, your mentor might start teaching you a few things here and there about the technical aspects or, you know, they'll give you different assignments and things to do. So Mm -hmm. it can look really different in a lot of different situations. So that would be, you know, one way that a traditional apprenticeship works. The idea is you're with the shop for a certain amount of time and and then you work in the shop afterwards as a way of showing your respect and kind of saying thank you for helping me out. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, there are a lot of people that had less than ideal apprenticeships, like lots of crazy stuff can happen. And for whatever reason, most of the time you have to forge your own path. So I guess what I'm saying is I was really fortunate to work for someone, Robert Mackay in Tucson, Arizona, who treated me with respect, who treated me the same as his male apprentice, seemed to have the same expectations for us both and put me on that path. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people do have to forge their own way. And no matter what, I think in your career, when you're moving around, you're learning from a lot of other people, Mm -hmm. whether it's shops that you're working at or you know, just people you're connecting with or people you're being tattooed by, friends you're making along the way. Mm -hmm. It's a really open-ended process. And that's exciting too, because I think, you know, every time that I've moved in the country and changed shops, I feel like I've become a better and better 
tattooer. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that might be, you know, kind of typical ego stuff of when you're young and first into it, you really want to prove that you know what you're doing and that you're good. And, and then the longer you're at it, the more you kind of relax and realize, well, maybe I don't know all the things and I need to be more open and receptive to the information that's around me. Mm-hmm. In terms of different people getting tattooed and not just men, I think people want to be tattooed by people who treat them with respect in an environment that's inclusive. You know, I'm lucky to work at a shop where although it's all men who are my coworkers, they're very concerned with making it an inclusive space. And that includes, you know, respecting pronouns, like little adjustments that maybe they wouldn't have thought of a few years ago, but they're, everyone's on board with just being better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And I'm glad you mentioned it. I definitely have been tattooed in a number of places Mm -hmm. and the early ones were like a bunch of walk-in shops that were most if not exclusively male artists, or at least I was tattooed by men. Mm-hmm. And then the last big piece I had done was a woman in Chicago named Serena Lander, and she has her own studio, and it's just her. And this, like, my whole experience was so different, and my relationship <laughs> to that tattoo was different. But it was a it was a positive experience. Oh, it was wonderful. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, it was the mm-hmm. best. I loved being there. Yeah, I think too. It's like you're seeing people create spaces where they feel free to be themselves. Like I can say I've definitely worked in shops where maybe men were making certain comments and, you know, just depending on the dynamic, it's sometimes you speak up, sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. Like there are times that I regret not being stronger and, and jumping in. Not that I ever would have done anything to disrespect anyone, Mm -hmm. but I think there was a certain amount of like, as I call it, like just kind of bullshit that you put up with sometimes. And I never worked at a shop like that in a long-term situation, but sometimes you're just passing through places and you hear things and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I saw on your website that you've done some work with Girls Rock. It looks like, are there other community projects that you're a part of through any of your artistic practices? Yeah. Thank you. So I was thinking about it, um, you know, shops, because we have a space, whether it's a private studio or an actual shop, that does give us an opportunity to sometimes hold events or do what we can to give back to the community a little bit. So specifically, a shop I worked at in New York that did a fundraiser for one of our friends who had surgery. So we just tattooed for the day, had customers come in and donated all the money towards him. And then... Similarly, in Denver, a shop, you know, we did a fundraiser for Standing Rock. We did a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. And they also helped me get the word out. I created some merchandise, just some tote bags and things like that, where I donated 100% of the proceeds the first time to Planned Parenthood and the second time to Girls Rock Denver. So it's really nice to have the support of my coworkers behind Mm -hmm. that even if it's just, you know, social media that they're tweeting out or telling their customers about it. And I guess it's been three or four years now. There's an organization still not asking for it. And a tattooer named Ashley Love started that. And every year, a bunch of shops across the country and actually across the world do a day of tattooing and all the money is donated towards local 
you know, nonprofits that benefit women who've experienced domestic violence mm-hmm. or else some other kind of causes around that issue specifically. So that's been another positive thing that I've gotten to personally partake in a couple of times. So yeah. yeah, World Tattoo is a newer shop. And so far we've done a fundraiser for a local called the Family Tree. And they help out people that have experienced homelessness and domestic violence and kind of the interconnectedness of those issues. But in terms of like being on the ground at Girls Rock, I first got involved with Willie Mae Rock Camp for Girls in New York. And mm-hmm. are you familiar with the whole system of rock camps? Mostly only Girls Rock. Yeah. I don't know about many others. So there is a network of rock camps throughout the world and mostly for girls and non-binary youth. And in Denver, it's called Girls Rock and it's age, I think, seven to 18. And I first got involved with rock camps in New York City and theirs is called Willie May Rock Camp. And basically it's a week long summer camp and it's all volunteer run and Kids get the opportunity to play instruments, learn instruments, work together, collaborating with a band to write songs and do workshops and eventually have have a show at the end of the week where they get to play their song on a full scale, you know, regular size stage in a venue. And it's just a really positive event. So I feel Mm -hmm. lucky that I got to meet some people in the Denver community for Girls Rock and got to volunteer with them for a couple summers doing whatever they needed, whether it was working in the lunchroom or teaching drums. So that's been a really great experience. And we also do some fundraising throughout the year too. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a cause I really care about because playing music when I was a teenager was you know, it's a lot of structure, a lot of confidence, a lot of self-esteem. And I just think it's really important to have those alternative outlets for kids. And yeah. Yeah. Are you playing music or in any bands right now? I am. I am in a project called Shock Brace with a couple of guys and we're working on recording right now. So that's exciting. And then I have a band that my friend Nikki and I are trying to put together right now. So we want to do a band of all moms. And she had a baby right around the time I did. But this one is more like theoretical. Like we've written a couple songs, but we haven't gotten together to play yet. I would say music was definitely in my teenage years and my 20s was one of the main things in my life. And in my 30s, I'm not sure why exactly, but I, you know, ended up really focusing on my visual art career and focusing on tattooing. It just was really busy. And I don't know, I guess it just gets harder when you're older too, right? Coordinating schedules and everything. Yeah. But it's important to me and I play ukulele for my son and, you know, my husband's a huge music lover. So we're always listening to new things and trying to like make playlists and find places to go dance and things like that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think for everyone, kind of the ways you spend your time changes as time passes. But also when I talk to people who have like multiple artistic talents and passions, Mm -hmm. they seem to ebb and flow, you know, at different times and which one is taking the most time or energy at any given moment will change in a number of months or years. If you're open to talking about this, I'd love to hear about how becoming a parent, if it 
has impacted your many different artistic practices and do you have any reflections on on how that's changed over I don't know how old your child is but oh yeah he's eight months oh wow so So young not even a year yeah yeah how is that shift going it's going great I really oh gosh I just have amazing clients who have worked with me with my changing schedule and availability for tattooing and that's kind of nice I get to really take on projects that I'm excited about and that I think I'll be a good fit for. So that feels really good. So there's tattooing and that's going well. And then um, I was not expecting it, but I just really have been feeling very creative the past eight months. So Mm -hmm. that's really fun too. I looped back into working with fibers and I've been doing a lot of sewing and quilting again, whenever I can make time for it. Mm -hmm. So that's connected with some of my work from graduate school, which just feels really satisfying to see it come together. And I just say overall, like some things are on pause, like the project photographing tattoo collectors is a little bit on pause right now. I love doing it. I love the medium and it's so much fun, you know, working with the subjects, Mm -hmm. but it's just, I guess a big part of the process becoming a parent is I feel like surrendering to it a little bit, you know, accepting that there isn't as much free time or when there is free time, it feels very structured. My partner and I are just working as a team. It's like, you know, he's holding the baby and I'm drawing or I'm holding the baby and he's painting or, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I imagine it'll get easier and we'll have a little more free time, but it's also kind of nice too you know, accept that not all the things are going to get done. And I have this group of photos, so I'm just also hoping to find some other venues to show them too. And it's also, it's a zine right now too, so I can get those back out into circulation. Very cool. Yeah, parenting's great. I think, you know, it makes you creative, or at least with me. Yeah, that's great to hear. I I've talked to a number of people who are parents and, you know, everyone kind of has a different relationship to it and everyone's work is so different and that Mm -hmm. changes how much time you have. Yeah, that's so true. And I think I end up talking to a lot of my younger customers about this, like in a different time, I feel like Denver has a, a really vital art and music scene and there's a lot going on and maybe at a different time in my life, I would love to be going out and supporting more local bands and like really taking in all the visual art and everything. But that's definitely a limitation with having a baby, like going out to art openings or music events. There are only so many Mm -hmm. times that we can do that. So it's cool to be in a city that feels like, you know, there's so much creative energy and there's so much vitality and I'm just kind of like hanging back right now, (laughs) appreciating it not really able to participate as much as I would like. Yeah, of course. You have other things. Yeah. 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 I feel like we've kind of hit the majority of my questions. So I'm wondering if there's anything else that you'd like to talk about in terms of your work or feminism, either in your work or more broadly, if there's anything we haven't touched on that comes to mind. Hmm. Well, I think something that has been a thread through my life is kind of being in male dominated spaces for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. whether it's been like the music scene that I was a part of growing up or 
getting into tattooing or, you know, I'm a drummer. So a lot of those kind of spaces like drum shops and things like that are often, you know, filled with men too. Mm -hmm. I have really tried to seek out communities, you know, like with roller derby that just were basically just queer communities and very, just felt very like free and very authentic within those. So I really feel like representation is so important Mm -hmm. and just seeing people doing the thing can be so inspiring to, you know, like a young kid who's queer, who is non-binary or, you know, like for me, it's like, I never even saw a woman playing the drums until I was 13 years old. Didn't even cross my mind that it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like my photo project, you know, is, is important. Um, I was just going to ask if you could share a little bit more about the photo project. I know you've mentioned it's, you know, women and non-binary folks who are tattoo collectors, but like, where have you encountered them? Could you share anything about either the individuals or some of the tattoos they have? I'd love to hear more about that now that it's come up a few times and sounds so wonderful. Oh, sure. Thanks. I started this project because I've moved a fair amount of times in my life, you know, it's kind of a theme and starting over Mm -hmm. and like re-rooting yourself in a community. So I'm really trying to look at the people around me, you know, these beautiful people I've met in these cities and just kind of show them as they are. And a big thing with the project is like, they don't have to smile. They can kind of look at the camera or not, like whatever they're comfortable with. And you get kind of a range of attitudes that I feel like come through. When I started, it was mostly other tattooers that I'm working with. And then kind of expanded that to customers or people that, you know, I've met through the community of tattooing. That's the focus is just kind of showing like these beautiful people that I've encountered. And that's from moving cities or traveling and working or just traveling. Mm -hmm your podcast resonates with me. Like geography is to me, it's like so interesting how it informs work. And I think sometimes as a person Mm -hmm. who's moved across the country a number of times, I can feel a little bit like sometimes I'm kind of grasping to put together my identity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it is so important to me to feel rooted in a community, but Mm -hmm. taking photos of the people around me kind of grounds me in just this like tattoo collecting is such a, I don't know. I mean, even though a lot of people do have tattoos, like I'm not sure what it is that drives us all to do this, you know, to, to make that choice when we could be collecting art for our houses or, you know, buying whatever, you know, there are many things, but for whatever reason, we are all drawn to the experience of getting tattooed. And for a lot of us, like being in a shop, that's it, really. I think it's just like showcasing some people and some places that I really love. Yeah, that's great. Oh, good. It's after my own heart, of course. Like, I, I love that sort of place based creative work, is mm-hmm. almost very much, very much my thing, too. Cool. Wonderful. Well, those are all my questions. So, thank you so much. This was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, too. And thanks, Amelia. Take care. Fifty 
for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist Dates. You can find show notes at 50feministdates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministdates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.